Hello, welcome to the Heavy Hole. My name is Tom. My name is Big Will, aka Uncle Buck. This is Jay Wall. What's up? What's up? <laughs> I just watched Final Destination, and that just really brought me back to old like Budweiser commercials. Oh yeah, yeah, that was a thing. <laughs> Remember the ones with the three frogs? Yeah. <laughs> well, well. Speaking of uh, f- creepy horror movies. And numerology and creepy crawly things like frogs and alcohol while we're at it. You, it. I mean, we, yeah, dude, the segue's already warmed up, guys. I love it. And and we're taking you on a thrill, thrill-packed ride <laughs> <laughs> through, our, through our haunted heavy hole. Uh, this is, of course, if this is hitting you uh, at the right time when we uploaded it, it's uh, November 1st, the Day of the Dead, and yesterday was Halloween, and we're taking you through your Halloween weekend right now. And um, we actually went out in the field and retrieved a um, specially spooky interview with my good old friend, all kidding aside, Greg Lehman, uh, who is kind of the, um, not not only the guitarist, but uh, the, like the, the brain the brain behind uh, Telok Vovin, Long Island's a cold black metal band, uh, also a former member of Dimension On, um, and an eclectic character, a uh, deep thinker, a very philosophical man, and we got into a lot with him uh, for this uh, special Halloween slash Day of the Dead edition of the Heavy Hole Podcast. All right, this is Big Will from the Heavy Hole Podcast. Uh, I'm here with Tom. Yo. How you doing, Tom? Fantastic. And uh, we're actually the guests, uh, once again, because we're here with our special uh, host this evening, Greg Lehman of Telok Vovin, and also formerly of Hierarchy and Dimension On. How you doing, Greg? What's going on, guys? Greg, thank you so much for welcoming us into Temple Pentagrammaton here at an undisclosed location uh, in East Long Island. Uh, we wanted to come here and get the full experience as we interviewed you about your bands, your life, your experience, and your beliefs and your worldview. Uh, and uh, Tom, I'm going to ask you, I told you, I, I kind of like uh, prefaced this interview by telling Tom, like, wait till you see this metal museum slash occult ritual uh, uh, altar that my friend has uh, constructed. What would you say about it? Uh, sensory overload. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I feel there there's so much inspiration here. Um a lot of metal, a lot of black metal, mm-hmm. a lot of old school goodies, all over the place. Lots of lots of vinyl, stacks of CDs, and and also a lot of very esoteric, uh, somewhat mysterious things that that we will some we will get into and some we won't reveal. But Greg, um, thank you so much for having us over, man. We really appreciate it. And just to kind of get right into things with this interview, we're going to talk about your bands and get into some other stuff. But maybe a little background. You're originally from Long Island, right? Yeah. Where where'd you grow up on Long Island? Uh, Patchogue and Belport. Patchogue and Belport. And um, family-wise, are you from a particularly like a creative or musical family, or is there anything like that going on uh, in your family already? No, no, not really. It just uh, was something growing up that just worked for me. Okay, so let me ask you this question then, because um, I feel like it, it, re- it does pertain to you and to this interview. What comes first, an interest in, uh, I guess we'll just say maybe the esoteric and the occult, or an interest in hard rock and heavy metal music? Kind of both. Okay. One, one, one kind of goes hand in hand. Yes, yes. Yeah. So 
I mean, maybe if you could just take us back to your childhood, like your, kind of maybe some of your earliest memories of being fascinated with that, or if there's an experience or, or something that kind of gets you, gets you involved. Well, music was always, you know, always. I mean, they got pictured of me being a, a little child with a pair of headphones on. And I know I was listening to Led Zeppelin too, mm -hmm. you know. So I mean, I always, you know, I stole all my mother's music when I was, you know, and, and still, I mean, if you look through my collection, it's all Boston Foreigner sticks, the yeah. Led Zeppelin, Beatles, you know, all that. And uh, my mother happened to have the first Black Sabbath album on eight track, huh. and uh, kind of a little bit goofy but funny story is uh, you remember Two XL, the Talking Robot? Uh, yes. Right, yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I know where you're going. I had that as a kid. And I used to listen to A tracks on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I had a room downstairs uh, that had no windows, so it was always dark, and I had all these candles in the room. I just always, you know, liked that sort of feel, that vibe. And uh, I remember listening to the first Black, the first time I listened to Black Sabbath album, it starts with the rain and the bells. Yeah. And uh, the eyes started to light up and flash with the thunder and lightning <laughs> on 2XL, uh, yeah. you know, on, on the, the thing. And it was just like, being in the room with a little demon or something like that, yeah. you know, it was just, yeah. you know, I've always been, in a, I've always felt more attracted to the darker side of life, and you know, it took me a long time to kind of figure out, you know. Yeah, why. and and I do, you know, I want to talk about your journey, um, and also, I also, I don't know, the uh, the 2XL I do remember, but there was also a thing in, in my generation in the 80s called Teddy Ruxpin. And it was like a teddy bear that you could play a cassette tape in. It would kind of like move its face and its arms or whatever. And me and my cousin did something similar, playing like you know whatever whatever cassette tapes we were because you we soon realized that you didn't just have to play the Teddy Ruxpin cassettes. You could play your <laughs> heavy metal or whatever you want and, and stuff. Um, but getting back to it, all right. So uh, you know Black Sabbath, Led Zepp, a lot of that classic rock where a lot of people are rooted in. Um, when, and, and you know, I should note that in your generation now, like when you come of age and you're an early teenager, this is the 80s, right? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, well, 90s, the early 90s when I kind of become a teenager, so I guess, but you know, late oh, 80s, 90s. Okay, well, I just wanted to make the point, like, what is heavy metal when you first notice it? What point are we at? Uh, well, went from Black Sabbath and then, like, uh, first thing that I was deal. I remember hearing. Uh, Holy Diver was big on the radio, and they would play uh, Raymond and Dark and Holy Diver on BAB. Okay. And I loved it, and that was the first tape that I bought with my own money when I was 11 years old. <laughs> and that's my favorite album of all time. And that was, you know, and then it went to Iron Maiden, and I, you know, I kind of got heavier and heavier. And the funny thing is, what got me into more death metal and stuff was like, was my mother worked for a Korean doctor who got her into classical music. And I fell in love with classical music. And then I heard Morbid Angel. And I was like, oh, fuck, this is like classical music on crack. <laughs> you know? And yeah. then that's just, you know, the intricacy of the, the Morbid Angel and classical music. That's where I branched out from, you know, the more, you know, classic heavy metal stuff mm -hmm. and started getting into death metal and black metal and doom and all, all sorts of stuff. And a lot of it was because of uh, classical music. Awesome, man. And I know um, when you're talking about your, your teenage years, when you're starting to get into uh, death metal, were, didn't you uh, hang out with Cody from Afterbirth at some point? Yes, we I, went to school together. Cody and Dave Case, we actually went to school together. Yeah, because they've told me stories about kind of like trading CDs with you when yep. you guys were all getting into metal together and things like that. Yeah, I, I remember, I forget what it was, but like we went and uh, I was actually, last time I talked to him, like, well, 
we went to Mother's Music in Patchogue, and I think he got one CD, and I got like an Immolation Dawn of Possession on, on that same day. <laughs> and uh, so it was like I, I forget what it was, but he bought another CD and didn't like it, so we just traded it. You know? Yeah, yeah. So that's how it used to be back in the day. That's how I got a lot of my coolest shit. Was Adam Rotella ordered it first, and then we traded it for it because he found something cooler that you know that he liked more. Man, my father's house. Uh, my mother and father were divorced, so when I went to my father's house, I was already into you know like. Motley Crue and Twisted Sister and, and Dio and stuff like that. Their next door neighbor uh, had a daughter who was into metal, and she was my babysitter. So <laughs> nice. She Love was it. she was like, oh, I gotta play this. She was bringing over like Metallica, Kill 'Em All, and Master of Puppets, <laughs> that's and great. and that's you know that's where I was. Like, There's a whole other world out there. Cool, ba- I, we've know. had a lot of like older cousins and cool uncles in the stories about how you get into metal, but never a babysitter. First time, yeah. That's, that's that. Yeah. That my cousin Todd, who got me into like Scorpions, made me. He uh-huh. made me the always do the mixtapes. Yes, the yeah, yep. yeah, a lost art. Yeah, yep. he would made me mixtapes that had everything from ZZ Top to Scorpions and all that oh, sort man, of stuff. Yeah. And that you know, those two people were you know, and my mother stealing all my mother's music. Yeah, you know. yeah, awesome, man. So. I guess it's fair to say that your family wasn't so concerned with like the quote-unquote satanic panic, where people were demonizing Ozzy Osbourne and Judas Priest and all those guys because uh, mm. you know a few people uh, did. My, some my stepfather was where I, you know he was for some reason Iron Maiden was Satanist. Yeah. All yeah. right, and I, I had to take like uh, somewhere in time, and I had to take the tape out and put it inside a blank tape and screw yeah. it, you know, put it in and screw it back together because mm-hmm. I couldn't have. Iron Maiden. Wow. Wait, so I thought you were talking about like a different tape case, but you actually unscrewed the tape with the with the label and the printing on it. Took it out and put it in a blank tape, open up the blank tape and put it inside the blank tape and screwed it. Wow. Next level. You know? I feel very fortunate now because I one of my first metal releases I ever had was a friend gave me his copy of Iron Maiden Live in Japan on cassette tape. And no, actually it was a real live one. I'm sorry. It was Iron Maiden a real live one on cassette. And uh, the first time I listened to it, because it was a used tape, the tape broke. It popped. My mom sat there for like 15 minutes with scotch tape, tape and put yep. it together for me so I could listen to it again. So shout, that, shout out to my mom for done, that. Done that plenty of times. Done yeah. that plenty of times. But uh, my, my stepfather was, was big onto that, and he wasn't around too long. But uh, I got into a, the occult at a, at a young age. Okay. And I, I remember my, my mother wasn't like thrilled with it, but... Uh, she knew that you really couldn't separate that from me, so she just kind of gave up. You know, yeah. she just kind of gave up. Well, I mean, it's it's smart to not try to drive like you know a kid who's attached into something. Like you're just gonna drive the kid away. You're not gonna. Yeah, like, it wasn't something you wasn't something you weren't gonna separate me from music or my spirituality. It just was, right. wasn't gonna happen. Mm-hmm. You know, and like yeah. you said, all you would have done was push me away because right. I wasn't gonna. I wasn't good at following rules and orders. Right. But you tell <laughs> me to do. I just... Now, I'm glad you brought that up because speaking of your spirituality, I, you know, as we'll talk about, I was in a band with you for uh, a, a number of months for almost, for just about a year that was very based in your spirituality and your worldview. And I've spent a lot of time discussing with you. I, you know, we're obviously here in this room with your library and, and your altar. When you first started out on this spiritual journey that you are that you're on, would you have described yourself as kind of just like you know like a Satanist, and 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 that meant to you kind of a more more of a, a simplistic view of Satanism when you were younger and you first started out? Uh, 
You know what? I, I remember a lot of it came from seeking, I try to have an understanding of why I'm here and why I hate being here. <laughs> like a lot of, like a lot of, like so many young men. Yes. You know, like I, I mean, and I women. always, I always, my mother would say, I don't understand why you act like this. And I'd be like, you brought me here. I never wanted to be here to begin with. Yeah. 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 You know, and it took a lot of, even at a young age, I was doing a lot of soul searching to try and why do I feel this way? And why am I attracted to some of the things? And what, there was always something that was calling to me. Mm -hmm. So I spent a lot of time reading. I've always been a big reader. And I remember... I remember reading the Satanic Bible and going, this is fucking bullshit. That's <laughs> Anton LaVey? Anton LaVey. Okay. I was like, this is, this is not what it means to me at all. Okay. You know, and I very, always... Very good point, because not to interrupt you, but when we talk about Satanism, there's a lot of that disconnect where people think it's the Anton LaVey book and, and all that, and then there's other types of practices, so, so go on. There's a big argument that people are like, oh, there was no Satanism before the late 60s. I'm like, bullshit. Mm-hmm. Take, take a look and go back and really read, and as you'll find out and explore, you'll find out there, there was a lot of occultism, Satanism, and different stuff way before LaVey's circus. You know, so and I've talked to you at great at great length about this type of stuff before. So I'm I'm trying to think of a way where we could um, maybe make it more concise for for this format um, without boxing you in. Uh, when you say uh, Satanism, what so so that's how you feel about the Anton Lavey school? What are what is some literature or 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 some person or some uh, point of view that you did agree with that you did say this this is what this means to me this this is right for me uh, well I've started reading a lot of Crowley mm -hmm. Alistair Crowley and uh, McGregor Mathers which was kind of a uh, little bit more uh, in depth than the pure hedonistic you know idea of Satanism of LeVay okay alright and uh, I remember reading about uh the cliff off, the cliff, the clithotic side of things in uh, Crowley. Like, there's little bits and hints about it. And then I remember uh, years later, what had a big influence on me was meeting, uh, was reading uh, The Mystical Shape of the Godhead by Gershom Shalom. And the second chapter in the book is uh, about the Citra Aqua, which is uh, in the Kabbalah, which is where a lot of my. Uh, beliefs uh, some people call it the anti-kabbalah when you're you know, okay there's the tree of life the tree of death there's the idea of uh two sides and mm -hmm. there's the uh creative light and then they're what called the thoughtful light and then there's the thoughtless light and okay. the, the, the thoughtful light is the side that has made creation and has made form and has drawn limits upon you know uh cultures from all back in time called the chaos you know, they have all different names for it. And that mm -hmm. was the, f I guess you could call it an energy or force, but I mean, even that's a little bit of a limiting word. You know, it's kind of uh, the basis of everything before anything was, and it was limitless, and it was formless, and it was boundless, and it was truly free. Mm -hmm. right? And uh, this portion of it wanted to get, I guess you could say, get to know itself and uh, started to draw limits and define, make definitions, define things. And uh, that's where creation came from. And that's the thoughtful light. 
And that's what created, or would be referred to as God, I guess you could say, that kind of created the isn't, universe. Isn't that also referred to in some literature and even by some artists nowadays as the demiurge? Yes. And okay. That's a big thing around Telekvoven is the concept of fighting against the demiurge, against mm -hmm. the creation and the limits that it's, you know, I believe that the spirit is eternal and it was not meant to be bound in, in the flesh and in forms mm -hmm. that are ultimately futile because they die okay you know i mean i have you know a lot of my own beliefs with it you know basically i believe that what is god recycles us when we die you know mm -hmm. and I, I basically i guess the easiest way to say it is to use an analogy you could look at this universe as like a farmer's field and in this field is corn god would be the farmer yeah right and in this field is corn and that stalk uh you know is an individual being a planet, a star, a bird, you know, an individual part of creation. Mm -hmm. Now you have the husk, which would be the soul. Okay. Right? And then inside the husk is the corn kernels, which is the quintessence. That quintessence is what we actually are. And we're bound by this form or this stalk, this, you know, this husk. That is what we are as a mortal being, as a physical being, right? And uh, the idea is freeing yourself from that. Now, I believe that when we die, when people have not, when we're not awake, I guess you could say, mm -hmm. right? which most, peop most people are, you know, oh, life is grand and they can't think of anything else but here and they're afraid of dying and all this sort of shit. And uh, I believe that when you do die, your essence is released, mm -hmm. and it's sort of like recycled, like, you know, the, the universe God, that creative force, kind of reclaims it and recycles you back into creation. And that's what keeps creation going. What, I, if I could stop you quickly, um, that's really interesting, and you touched on something. Uh, Paul Riedel of Blood Incantation, uh, actually, shout out to Paul and shout out to those guys. I had a discussion with him. I'd love to get you two guys in the same room together. Um, you probably have a lot of the same reading, reading material in common, I believe. But uh, he explained a similar concept to me one time about the life-death cycle and this kind of reincarnation. Is like, picture, there's a stream, and there's fish trying to jump from one area of the stream, uh, you know, like over an embankment into the rest of the stream. But every time they do in midair, they're kind of like reset to the beginning instead of getting to where they're supposed to go. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Well, it's funny that you mention a stream because I kind of imagine that the, the force that was before creation as an ocean. Okay. And when creation was made, it was broken up into little streams. All right. And the idea for, for me is kind of about getting, kind of getting back to that ocean, you know, getting back to what is a, a true limitless nature okay and be you know kind of like the i guess you could say the fish swimming against the stream and trying to get back you know mm -hmm. now let me uh, this is this might be veering off on a tangent a little bit from what you're talking about but i gotta ask you this because it just popped in my head would you agree or would you at least um be open-minded to the idea that there is a conspiracy to keep human beings from our true uh, nature and our true, like like some people call it our divine spark. Most definitely. Okay. Wow. All Most right. Definitely. I, I think it's uh, inherent in creation mm -hmm. to you know to kind of limit uh, 
limit the spirit, limit the essence, like awakening thinking. You know, most people are very, most people can't get past their cell phones nowadays and what's on TV <laughs> and, you know, yeah, that tell it's me about all it. these lights that we have and, you know, things going on are a distraction from actually thinking about things beyond just yeah. this world. It's new religion stuff, you know, like as traditional as we know it, like, you know, Western religion is kind of not in in the public favor so much. It's now it's Apple and now it's Google. And, yeah. you know, the, that's, we live by that. That's the, well, that is the new religion, yeah. Religion has, religion as the old religion or, you know, stuff like Judaism and Christianity and Islam, a lot of those beliefs, a lot of people are walking away from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel that, uh, it's almost like the idea of blinding people again and tricking people again into technologies become yes. their god. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Money yeah. has become their god. Yeah. You can't believe in God and worship in that form, but now we'll get you this way. Yeah, fair Absolutely. enough. You, I, gotta, you gotta fit in, or else you're a weirdo about it. And uh, you know, it's easy to fit in. That's that's another problem. It's very easy to succumb to always be on the internet. Don't think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the easiest yeah. thing. Yeah. Don't think. Don't uh, question. I love it sometimes, man. I'm guilty yeah. of it. I'm, I. I I'm on the internet for hours sometimes searching shit I'll never actually use. You know, there's nothing wrong with it as long as it just doesn't turn you off. Yeah. And most people are just, they're turned off. It's like they have blinders on. And I mean, it's just a simple fact that Facebook goes down and and fucking people are going to commit suicide (laughs) because they can't get on Facebook for a day. I'm like, you know, read a fucking book. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, do something else. Learn, grow, do mm-hmm. you know, think. I, I'm I'm all aboard with that message, man. Yeah, re- uh, reading. I I told Tom I want to get rid of my TV and my DVDs and stuff, and just have books and records and cassettes in my room. That's that's my ideal. You're but, already behind the curve, man. You yeah. still use DVDs. Yeah, you yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, only thrift store DVDs. <laughs> but um, hey, I, the same thing. I, I like tuning out and playing the video game. Yeah, every right, now yeah. and then, and stuff like that. You know, you need that to kind of. So you don't overwhelm yourself completely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You sometimes need to, especially when you're into something like the occult and you're into things that are really heavy, sometimes you need to turn off so you don't burn yourself out. Yeah, right. But yeah. most people don't want to turn on. Right. You yeah, know? yeah they, you're they, right. They, most yeah. people don't want to think. They want to be told. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't want to see, seek for answers. They want somebody to give them this little, here's a book or here's a platform right and this is it and don't think don't question right just hear these 10 mm-hmm. rules and that's it you know and they, they don't want to think they don't want to question they don't want to have to yeah it, it's too takes too much effort so so steering the conversation back to metal a little bit um because we got pretty deep there uh with the philosophy and the spirituality when do you start noticing um in in heavy metal in death metal and black metal whatever it is uh, sentiments that echo these philosophies, hmm. or band, bands that you say this band is kind of like on my wavelength spiritually. You know, I don't know if it's so much totally spiritually, but it was like I'll go back to Dio again. Okay, Dio, his music is, and I, music itself, and this is one of the reasons why I think music is like, unless you're glorifying God with music. Things like music, dance, sex, you know, unless it's for the procreation, it's sin, it's dirty, mm-hmm. all right? Uh, it's because it's magic. You know, music is magic, is a form of magic. Mm-hmm. And that's what, you know, with Dio, I, it, it really caught me like I could feel the spirit in it. And I'm like, this is magical. 
Okay. This is truly like this is a divine expression. This is magic itself. So maybe it wasn't more about the darkness or the death, or as it was about the power of magic and the power of the divine. Yeah. Okay. All right. I, I see where you're going with that. But what for me it was was it was always the dark divinity that mm-hmm. attracted me, and mm-hmm. that dark divinity that called to me. That's what feels. Yeah. It's like it's my nature. It's my natural essence, which is why I spent so much time seeking, reading, meditating getting it involved into, you know, I mean, I spent years just studying how to create ritual, mm-hmm. how to create a ritual, you know, and, and what the individual pieces mean, and, and you know, and what are the different tools that you have and what purposes do they serve? Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing with like music, you know, you, you, you find out what the rhythm does, you find out what, you know, you, you know, the progression of the music, how they all work together and it's all magic. Mm-hmm. Um, f- fair enough. And uh, now, you know, we left off with you getting into death metal. You trade a couple of CDs with uh, Dave and Cody from Afterbirth as teenagers. Uh, and then you you told me, you know, we were talking before, you actually picked up your first bass guitar. Were you playing guitar already or that was just, that was your own? Yeah. No, I, I, had a, I had an acoustic guitar as a kid. Okay. And uh, I was too into, like... Kiss and some of the other bands and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and I remember playing around with it and pretending to play live and, and smashing it. <laughs> <laughs> Fair you know, enough. That, that had to be fun, though. That had to kid. be fun. And, yeah. and again, I've, there's always a, dest- a little bit of a destructive side to me. And yeah, yeah. Being being younger, I lacked I lacked focus. You know, okay, I mean, yeah. I was always interested, but it, it took me a long time to gain focus. As as did I. Same way, you man. Know? And um. But you relate to me for you did join uh, Long Island's at that point probably one of the only dark extreme metal bands, uh, The Forgotten, who we did cover. We interviewed Mike Zancelli, um, and we've talked about The Forgotten, which later turned into D- Dimension on. You joined that band in the mid '90s, and you bought your first bass guitar and learned how to play it to be part of that band. Yeah, wow. I always wanted to be in a band, and I was getting to the point where I, I honestly couldn't find I couldn't find much value in life. Right, and uh, it was either find some purpose or uh, destroy myself, and not destroy myself in a manner that's going to free myself from from this creation, but just destroy myself and become worthless. You know, and uh, destroy your ego, maybe. Not, no, the ego is something to be overcome. Okay. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm treading in, in water that's a little too deep for me right yeah, now. Yeah, the, okay. the ego is something to be overcome, but more of, uh, I guess, to destroy my higher self. Okay. If, if you want to say, say, you know, and literally, I don't think I would have, if I hadn't gotten into music, I wouldn't have amounted to anything. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was, uh, I was at a point in my life where I really didn't have much value. I didn't see much value in myself or even in the world. But I always wanted to do music, and now here was a band of other people that I was friends with was playing music that I like, and I looked at, here's my opportunity to do something. And I just said to them, I said, I'll play bass, and I didn't even have a bass. And they were like, you will? So yeah. And I went out and bought a bass, and three months later, I was on stage, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. So... And um, the Forgotten, eventually, you guys changed the name to Dimension On. And I, you know, I remember you used to play shows with my old band Biolich all the time. That I was around for that period, um, very special time in my life. 
and I have a lot of fond memories playing shows with you guys back then and all that. Um, you you obviously uh, stayed with the band and, and progressed as a musician. Well, I actually uh, I was out of the Forgotten for a while. Okay, okay. Uh, I, I, right. I, I, I was out of the band for a while. Being uh, such so new to the instrument, I really couldn't keep up. Okay, you know, after a, a little while, and uh, I, you know, I ended up having my own apartment. You know, get a little older, so I was on my own, and I was doing a few other, you know, bands, trying to get my own band going. Genesiah, Genesiah with Glenn, with Glenn yeah, and a, 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 a drummer that will remain nameless. <laughs> <laughs> that, that didn't last long, anyway. No, it was that interesting experience, but uh, you know, and uh, I had a, a very powerful experience living alone. And again, I was in a very dark place again yeah. because I didn't have a focus with not being in the band, and you know, and uh, I took a whole bunch of uh, pills one night, and I, I drank a lot of, a lot of fucking, you know, alcohol, and uh, I don't know if I was going out to kill myself, but I was more going out to numb what I was feeling. Yeah. Or maybe even to try and feel something, because I was just in a very dark spot. And I remember laying on the floor of my apartment, completely fucked up. Like, completely... Almost to the point where I, like, I, I was leaving my body. And I think at that moment, I could have died. Yeah. But something spoke to me at that moment, and said that, basically... If you want to achieve what you're trying to achieve, what you, you know, in, in yourself that you want to achieve, you have to actually, you have to kind of become something. You, you have to, so you can either have the choice to let go or you can choose to, you know, embrace that you are here in a way and work towards something. Okay. All right. And uh, I do believe that. Uh, that was the spirit of Sam Ale talking to me, which is one of the names of the devil. Right? And that was the moment where I really got involved with practicing ritual and magic and stuff like that. And I don't mean magic like, you know, love spells and shit like, you know, shit yeah. like this new age Wiccan shit, you know. Uh, chaos magic, right? Yeah, well, chaos magic, but not just... Uh, that's where I really started to get involved in the left-hand path aspect of it even more. Even though I was already on that path, but it went from reading it to I made some sort of connection with something at that moment. And that's wow. where I made the decision to embrace the spiritual, ritualistic aspects and the music writing aspects. And that's where the idea for me came to merge them together. You know, and out of that came the first song that I wrote for the Forgotten. Uh, it was called Azriel, yeah, which was yeah. which was about you know the energies of death. Yeah. You know, and I mean, since then I've had sort of an epiphany, where uh, I I believe in I personally believe in the duality in everything. Mm -hmm. All right, and there's two sides to everything in creation. All right, and that song was. Uh, now that I've come to explore a little bit more, I actually believe that Azriel could be related to uh, the side of God that harvests us through dying. Hmm. Whereas Samael would be the adverse side of, of that. 
which seeks to subvert the energies released upon death and channel it outside of creation into the Sitra Akra, which I was talking about it with, that, with the mystical shape of the Godhead, which would be the other side. It's the okay. antithesis to creation. Wow. And it's the side of the divine that seeks to undo creation. That That's interesting. Is there was something, um, you just reminded me of something that, that I heard. I was watching, I was actually watching a documentary on how in Mexico uh, there's certain people that that worship the spirit of death as part of kind of like a, like a, a, an offshoot of Catholicism. And they worship the... La like, Santa Morte. Yes, yeah, that's what I'm getting at, yes. And the way it was explained um, made sense to me uh, more than any other way I'd ever heard it explained was that in, according to their belief system, they believe that death, the angel of death, um, is so revered by God because God trusted the angel of death to take his son, Jesus, right? You know, in, in their mythology. Anyway, that's the way that they kind of um, interpreted it uh, and to, to put Santa Muerte in their culture. Does that have any relevance to kind of what you're talking about? Yes and no. You see, in uh, the Santa Muerte and in uh, sort of the, the death worship, uh, first of all, they were mixing, they were hiding a lot of their cultural beliefs underneath Catholicism so they could hold on to their... Similar to Santeria? Yes. Okay. So, so they, that was part of it. Okay. But there's two cults within that, that, you know, there's the kind of like, the, you could say the open cult, which would be more of, uh, I don't want to say Catholicism because that's not right. Well, it, it kind of like, it takes a lot aesthetically from Catholicism, yes. I guess you could say, right? But what I'm more trying to get at is the, the, the open cult is more of, uh, I would relate it into death that's connected to God. And then there's kind of, there's the closed cult or the, or the, the private cult, which is more, is the black side, okay. it, which is not, again, it's that seeking to subvert the energies from creation, where death is a natural part of life. You know, and that's why I feel that there is a there's duality in everything. There's a duality in death. You know, and, and I, for a long time in my life, I, I would say that I worship death in all its forms. I don't anymore because I believe that there's a side of death that feeds creation, that works, you could say, hand in hand with what people consider God. Right? And that's necessary to keep the cycle going. Mm -hmm. They yeah. uh, they call that mulching in the agriculture. Yes. Field. Yeah. Okay. So, so th there's a side to that you know to it that keeps things going, but there is a side to death also, uh, which relates a lot to Quian uh, or Cain, which uh, is actually working against creation. Okay. And that that's more of the side that I found myself that, that I'm attracted to that where my spiritual beliefs are all right um so all, all that being said now that that's what you had first said about um taking all the pills and drinking and having that revelation on the floor uh and then then going forward and and feeling more inspired to take part in the songwriting and make something of yourself that's interesting to me because i was you never shared that with me um back in the day but i do remember there being like kind of like this distinct almost like a night and day moment where where all of a sudden i started seeing you kind of overcome with passion for uh the more spiritual side of things and embracing that i do definitely remember there being like there was one day or maybe like one you know month or something where i would see you around 
and it was like a different Greg. It was like you were truly inspired by something. There was an awakening. I, yeah. I made a yeah, connection I remember that. with something that I was always seeking, and I, I yeah. kind of, I think you'd say I had to hit that bottom, and I had that wow. choice at that moment to either to give up mm -hmm. or to fight, and I chose to, you know, I chose to fight. I look at my life as a fight against creation itself, and that's what fires me to keep going every day. Wow. Even though I feel life is pretty futile, I mean, we're all bound to die, and that essence will continue in the universe, but you don't, you don't remember your past lives. I mean, they have all the mythology where they talk about the waters of Leith, that when you die, the spirit drinks from the water of Leith and it erases your past memories. I believe that that's creation or God seeking to keep us under control because if we were able to remember all our lifetimes if we were able to remember all our experiences we would be harder to control we would be awake mm -hmm. you know that's it's sort of like eating from the tree of you know of knowledge and becoming god in in a manner which in the bible god did not want that to happen yeah. God did not because then you they will you know he says in the Bible you know lest man reaches and eats takes the fruit of the tree of life and eats of it a tree of knowledge and eats of it and becomes a God as as is us yeah which you know. not to go on a totally we're already kind of on a tangent but um I I just I was telling you before we started recording I've been listening to Graham Hancock talk uh, and he goes into about how that 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 apple in the Bible could have met, you know been a reference to psychedelics and psychedelic. You know, we, we won't go down that wormhole just yet, but uh, really interesting stuff. And just for the listeners, um, Greg has mentioned a few books and a few authors, and we're we're going to ask him about that. If you want to go back and look into some of the, some of the stuff yourself, either just for the historical, the spiritual, or just the um, the, the the interesting, uh, you know. Uh, aspect of it um, but like I said I, I was at, I did want to cover um, your time in dimension on a little bit you wrote for them you guys did do a, <laughs> you guys did do a tour where you were uh, supporting mortician and a few other bands right yes okay what what was that experience like <laughs> uh, it was great but it was also it was craziness uh, I went out and bought a van for the tour. Okay. All right. Bold move. Yes. Bought a van for the tour, and uh, we played two shows. And I remember it was <laughs> it was after I think it was after the second show, and we played the show. And you know had you know was feeling great. Had a little bit the, the drink. We you know after the show you had to do a little party and you hang out. You know you have, have a good, to. To, good yeah. time. You have to. Yeah. You know yeah. enjoy it. And uh, I wasn't driving, and uh, we had seats in the van. Mm -hmm. So I was laying on one of the seats, and I was I was I was just so relaxed and I was like floating and I was like in the best I was like this is everything that I've always wanted to do and I remember being on that verge of like almost half asleep half awake and uh Jim the the uh other uh guitar player I don't know if he was playing guitar or bass I think he was on guitar at that time uh <clears throat> was driving and all of a sudden he goes uh oh uh something's wrong I don't know the dashboard's just lit up the, the, everything's <laughs> oh, no. went red uh, and uh, the engine blew. Well, uh, it was blowing. We, you know, so right. you're watching a catastrophe. Yes. So <laughs> now we're out on the road. I think we were in Virginia or some shit like that. And uh, we we limped it to uh, to a repair shop, and they were like, "Yeah, no, this just the engine's shot." So we uh, <clears throat> we rented a U-Haul truck. 
Alright, uh... Now... We had to get a ride from there, like, two hours away, or an hour and a half away to get the, the U-Haul truck. And we got, uh... We got a thing to put the van on. Because we were going to tow the van with the U-Haul truck. Like a flatbed or something. Yeah. Or, or like, oh, okay, yeah. okay. So, we got there. The van didn't fit on the, the, the U-Haul truck. So, the, the, on the trailer. Oh, my God. So, we went to another place, and we got a, a bigger trailer. And uh, we were going to come back and get the van. All right, the place was nice enough. You can leave it here. All right. Uh, but would that sort of have set you like more out of your way with the tour and all that? Because you're still trying to make the rest of the tour. We're still trying. We yeah. had, no, we want. We yeah. were still doing it. Yeah, because uh, I've been there. It's like you got another show, but you got to figure out this crazy conundrum. Yep. All right, so we're uh, now only two people could fit in the front of the U-Haul. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> the rest of us, me, Joe, and I think Ryan, the drummer, was was uh, at the time. We're in the back of the U-Haul, pitch black. Yeah. I mean, I literally, I hold my hand up in front of my face, and you couldn't see your hand. Oh, yeah. And it was about 112 degrees in the back of the U-Haul. All right. And yeah. the equipment is roped up to keep it from falling on us. And we're sitting back there riding in the dark, and cell phone goes off. And Jim again. Maybe we shouldn't have let him drive. <laughs> but uh, I think it was, it was Jim at that point calls and goes, oh, we got a problem. What now? You know, the uh, brake on the, the trailer. Oh right, yeah, because that's a two brake system. Yeah, you have that, was yeah. jammed, was stuck on. So we're driving it down the road, and the tires aren't spinning. Oh, it's fucking smoking, <laughs> and it's smoking like fucking crazy. Oh, but we get out. You could have cooked fucking eggs on the tire. So now we go and we get uh. We go back to the place. We call the guy up and we say, look, this thing is fucked. What the hell did you rent us? You know, this thing is broken. So we get back there. We drop it off. We rent an auto transporter, which is a thing that's just got like these, it's got a wheels, but it's got two cups where you drive the vehicle into the cups, the front wheels. Right, so you can Lifts it up off the it. ground and then you can tow the, the thing. So uh, we reserved that. We went and we played... The, that was the last show that we were doing on that part of the tour and then we were picking up with the end of the tour and we were going to Canada but that was like a couple weeks later so uh, we played the show in Georgia and I mean we were late the, the, that, that tour was great though with the guys that were on the, the mm -hmm. tour because there was some other issues which I'll tell you about which were f are really funny but uh, we showed up late for we missed our set and we walked in when the band after us was finishing their last song. And they saw us, right, as they were going to listen. Hey, and they sent the, so the song out to us. And they're like, are you guys playing? And we're like, well, we don't know. We missed our set. So the bands, uh, uh, Mortician and Akakaka, uh, went to the promoter and said, we want them to play. We'll cut 10 minutes. We'll cut time off our set. Wow. And we'll let them use. And if Vehemence got off stage and they will, like, use our equipment. You know, and they were like, just play. We want you guys busted your ass to get here. Bro we went. Yeah, we had a we had tight. a great set, uh, and then we proceeded to. We were going home. They were going on the tour. The rest of the tour, we said we'll see you at the end of the tour. Play the other shows. We went and picked up the auto transporter about two hours back, where we were going along the path. Drove about another three hours to where the van was, 
and the van didn't fit on the auto transporter. Uh, oh, oh no, man! man. So <laughs> I'm getting anxiety just listening <laughs> to the story. It must have been horrible. So now the people at the place were great. All right, and I said you can you can leave it here, and, and we'll have to figure out how to get it get it home to you or what you're gonna gonna do with it. And we proceeded to drive all the way from Virginia back. Through New Jersey, everything like back home with this auto transporter. With, now with nothing on it, the auto transporter hooked up to the back of the U-Haul. You're going bang, 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 and bouncing off the road because there's nothing to keep it right. down. Right, need some weight. It yeah. needs some weight. Now we, I remember driving through residential area in New Jersey at like 6:30, 7 o'clock in the morning with this thing banging. And people turning their lights on and coming out of the house. But <laughs> what the fuck is that? And just this thing banging away because we had to bring it to the next U-Haul place where we could drop it off. Mm-hmm. So uh, wow, I ended up having to have the van, because it was so big, put on a train and brought up by train to New York City and then put on a flatbed truck and get driven out to Long Island. How much did that cost? Alright, the three weeks from buying the van, insuring it, and all the stuff, it cost me $10,000. And you guys want to start a band who are listening, okay? I was going to say, like, you know, (laughs) if that doesn't happen on your first tour, then you got a great first tour. Holy shit, Stick to those three-day weekends, kids, okay? Oh, my God. So, alright, real quick, though. um, Well, let me tell you one other funny story. Yeah, I wanted to hear some of those funny stories that you mentioned before, because you needed to have some fun after that. Yes. So, it's uh, one of the shows that we played. I forget where it was. Delaware? Some Maryland? Something like that. The uh, the club was run by a biker guy. Yeah. And he didn't give a shit about the show. All right. <laughs> now, he didn't care That's about great, the show. Right. He didn't want He didn't even care if it happened. Yeah. All right. And uh, into those shows. It's on, the, on the rider, you're supposed to get, you know, we were on the tour. We were supposed to get fed by the place that was, you know. And we were supposed to get a case of beer. Fairly common. Fairly yeah. common, you know. Not extravagant. You know, yeah. with no, nothing extravagant. Case yeah. of beer, some food. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And this was cold cuts. You know, right. little just that's what it was. Cold ham, cheese, turkey, shit like that. Right. Not even sandwiches. This is not catering. Yes, yeah, this is just not catering. Send this someone is, to King Cullen. Yeah, happen. and I mean, mo- the other places actually fed us meals. This guy just didn't give a shit. So that's what it what. Right. Just fulfilling his bare obligation. Got there and he said, "We got the show," and he goes. They're not playing, being Dimension on. I don't care. They're not playing the show. And I'm not giving them a case of beer, and I'm not giving them any food. They can stay for the show, but I don't care. They're not playing. The the guys from Vehemence, Acrococca, and Mortician turned around to him and said, They're playing. They're playing the show. You've already paid us the guarantee. All right? You've got a fucking establishment full of people. If you don't let them play... We leave. And you're going to have to deal with... Everybody's going to now want their money back because there was no show. And, you, and we're not giving you the, the you know, mm-hmm. the, the payment back. Yeah. So the guy said, fine, they can play, but I'm not feeding them, not giving them any beer. And we were like, whatever, fuck, at least we can play. Mm-hmm. So we're backstage, and the guys from Vehemence, Mortician, and Akakaka all took their food and their beer, and each band took a portion of their stuff and put it on a tray wow. and brought it to us. That's and, great. And, and said, awesome. well, here, you guys eating, here's beer, here's food, and, and took care of us. 
what a great package tour to be on because yeah. it sounds like everybody was really cool and solid and had your back. That's it. Everybody That's worked awesome. to you know to just make it work. Do you know like what was this the manager of this bar whoever this guy was? What was his beef? Was it like he just wanted to get out early that night so he didn't want three bands playing or something or like he, what was this? He he said straight up, I don't give a fuck about this show. I don't care. I want to get the fuck out of here. I don't even care if the show happens. Jeez, man. Uh, I, right. And he just didn't care. I'm like, well, why'd you fucking book it, that asshole? Yeah. Well, uh, why do you want a club if you don't want to do the show? You know? Yeah. What the yeah. fuck? But he obviously had somewhere else that he wanted to be. It happens. It, you know? it happens out there, man. So, um, so Dimension, and you guys, you know, you played um, all over the New York area. You, you know, you played out a lot. You we recorded. went up to, I think it was Toronto at the end of the tour. Mm -hmm. And we got the van home. And you know Charlie. Yes. Uh, our yeah. friend Charlie is a mechanic. He's a band's mechanic. And he looked at the van and he felt so bad that the engine blew. And we were saying, you couldn't know. There was nothing wrong with it at that time. Yeah. So uh, my wife, well, she wasn't my wife. She was my girlfriend at the time. Uh, she took $5,000 of her own money and bought us an engine. And Charlie put the engine in and had three weeks to get the engine, take the engine out and put the new engine in and wouldn't let us pay him. He said, the only payment that I want is you guys to get out and finish the end of the tour. <laughs> wow. Shout out to Charlie, man. And, and, uh, and my wife. <laughs> and your wife, obviously, man. Yeah, uh, you know, Charlie always such a diehard old school. We should interview Charlie, man. I mean, that would, that be, would be cool. Yeah. Okay, but yeah, well, getting back to this interview. But yeah, man, you. now that I'm thinking about it, my mind's racing with all the old school out east metalheads that you're friends with. And a lot of them would make great interviews. But uh, getting back to Dimension on... Uh, Quite the tour story. You guys never did. You do any other like you know bigger tours like that? That, that, was, that was the was, only tour. Yeah. I mean, we played a lot of cool shows. You know, yeah, you guys, like Animal well, Corpse, Creator. Yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, we played Creator with the at the downtown, and Millie from Creator came in and ate dinner with us. Awesome. And fucking yeah. hung out with us. He's like, you guys were fucking awesome, and we're sitting here having a steak dinner with Millie from Creator. <laughs> and Sick. I'm like, this is fucking amazing. You know? Yeah, and I don't want to um, I don't want to short sell Dimension on. But we do want to cover Telok Vovin too, um, and and, uh, and be respectful uh, of your time and of the listeners' time. But Dimension on, uh, all good things come to an end. And in 2009, you part ways with the band. I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about um, that and about where you end up with that, or well, uh, I guess, or maybe even just what you got out of the experience being in the band. Just me, to... me, and some of the you know another person in the band will probably have slightly different views on things which mm -hmm. you know I don't really want to get too much in, into that but uh, I will say that again since I didn't really have much musical training and I even at that point I didn't have a lot of time playing an instrument and the band was trying to go further and we had a, a guitar player in the band Zoltan at the time who I mean I've never seen somebody pick up a guitar I mean the guy can listen to a riff on an album like three times and just play it on the guitar Oops, and I mean severed? Uh, from Section. So, yeah, Zoltan yeah. from Section. Section. Yeah. And uh, he was supposed to move here from Hungary to, to join the band, and he was staying here with us for a while. And uh, I, even I will say, you know, I mean, uh, I needed to progress further as a as a musician and playing my instrument. And uh, well, the, Zol Zoltan was kind of like a is kind of like a virtuoso. Oh, forget it. The guy's. I amazing. mean, that's you know, the guy, yeah. The guy's amazing. I mean, he just plays all. Like, <clears throat> I mean, he's. I've sat here and watched him play. Death song solos included. Yeah, that's what I just, think about him as I think him playing all that death we'll material. Play Chuck yeah. Shoulder, yeah. just play it right the whole yeah. damn song solos included right through. And you're, you know, you just you're, you're trying, you know, you're self taught. Yeah. You know, I I get it, man. Yeah. So I uh, they wanted to uh, 
take things a step further and felt that my lack of uh, musical training and lack of, you know, not being as good on my instrument, I guess you could say, uh, was holding them back. Mm -hmm. So they chose to part ways with me. Uh, and uh, just that being said, though, uh, I guess that was 2009. Um, and then by 2012, I know you were probably planning a lot of this even years before that, but you start putting the plan into action to form Telok Vovin, right? Yeah, well, the Dimension On, the split with Dimension On was, it's weird because it was worst time of my life, best thing that ever happened to me. Mm -hmm. In the fact that uh, I did need to progress on my instrument. Yeah. And being let go, and there were some things that happened with it that I, you know, I wasn't like really happy with the way it went. And uh, it just set a determination in me. And I spent two years just practicing before I even bothered to start a band. Just two years practicing, you know, getting learning my way around my instrument better, getting better. And then I finally got to a point where I was like, all right, I'm ready to, to do this. That getting kicked out of Dimension Audio made me take a step as a musician. Catalyst. Uh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. would have... Now, that is a moment that could either have broke me or made me. And it's kind of made me, and in a way, I sat there and, I, you know, at first I was like, that's it, I'm done, what am I going to do? You know, feeling sorry for myself. And then I was like, I have no, nothing else. This is, you know, this is who I am. Yeah. So it made me dig in. You know, and just, you know, just the refusal to quit and learn my instrument. And, yeah, and dig in, you did. And I want to talk about the forming of Telok Woven, because I, I was right there, as you know. Um, one thing I do want to touch on briefly, though, when exactly did you tour roadieing for Watain? Uh, I didn't really and, roadie for my okay. road. I went with the, the Black Anvil guys and... Uh, well, yeah, maybe just uh, describe yeah. how that came about and that experience then, because I, well, I got it a little bit wrong. Yeah. Uh, friend of mine, Bridget, uh, who was dating Pele from, from Watain, and uh, he actually came out, out to the house, and we became friends, and uh, good friends with the Black Anvil guys, and they went on tour with them, so mm -hmm. I was was riding with, you know, with the Black Anvil guys, and like, you know, hey, why don't you ride with us for a night? So, uh, you know, I, I went for, uh, like, one or two nights with the Watain guys on their tour bus. I, I remember falling asleep on the bunk and waking up, driving down the road, and I'm going, where the fuck am I? <laughs> you know? <laughs> But, uh, you know, so, it, you know, that was cool. I did merch for them at, at one show because their merch guy left, you know. Mm -hmm. And they're really solid guys. Like, I was going to do it for nothing. I didn't care. Mm -hmm. They paid me. They gave me shirts. And I was, no, I don't need it. They, they just, no. You know, this is the way we do things. Solid dudes. Solid, you know, and they, yeah. they paid me for doing it. Like I said, I, I would have done it for free. I was doing merch for the Black Anvil guys. Mm -hmm. And I, I just was willing to go along. I got, uh, I was getting laid off from my job. And uh, I had to use up time, so anybody getting laid off can take whatever this time that they have, they can use it, so you don't lose it. Right. All right. So I took that that uh, ten days or something like that, whatever it was, to uh, go out on the road with them. And I was doing merch for the Black Amble guys and just hanging out with the Black Amble guys and you know the Watkin guys and you know the other bands on the tour. And uh, that was just that was just cool time, cool experience, a lot of. Interesting. That is one of the things that I remember watching both the Black Anvil guys and the Watain guys and how professional they were. And watching some of the opening bands 
the local bands and how unprofessional they were. Like, I remember one show, I don't remember the band, but the drummer comes in and he doesn't have a cymbal band and he's carrying all the cymbals <laughs> and he's dropping them all over uh. the place. And I just remember looking at this opening band and then these two bands are on the road and going, that's not going to be, I'm not going to yeah. accept that in, in, in my band. That's we, we talk about touring a lot on the show, and something we always say is pay attention to those bigger bands that are headlining the shows and the little things they're doing before they play and after, after they play and how they treat their gear. Like, learn, watch, observe. You and, know what I mean? And you also pay attention to the bands that, the local bands that aren't doing those things. Yeah. And you can see what sets a band apart that's going to make it. You don't want to be uh, that guy who's... Um, Leaving his, I always bring this up. Leaving the full rack on stage and taking every symbol off one, one by one, even though the next band only has twenty minutes. Yeah, things yeah. like that. But um, because that happened, artificial brain one time. I'm not going to rehash the story. We lost us. We were on the road and we lost a song out of our set because one of the opening bands, the guy didn't realize that the purpose of a rack, and you know, or one of the pull it off the damn yeah, stage, yeah, so you can get yeah. everything off the stage easy. But what are you going to do? So, um, uh. Touring, uh, being on that tour, uh, helping out with Black Anvil and Watain, the thing I wanted to ask you, too, is how... Because, obviously, Watain's been widely covered in media. People know, at least on a superficial level, what they're about, uh, with their philosophy and the way they present themselves and the things they talk about. Did you feel um, like... Or did you or did you, did you you come to some sort of understanding with those guys where your philosophies are similar? Did they, you... They don't really talk about it they let the music it's, it's not something where you know well I guess what I'm getting at is did you feel any sort of kindred spirit did you feel any sort of inspiration like what was the relationship there between these guys and you who has pursued um, maybe a similar path to your life in metal uh did, did, you know I don't know there, there are very there are similarities but I think it's more to the fact that I don't draw an inspiration from them there are a lot of bands around nowadays that are uh, digging in the same ground as Watain and Dissection, but a lot of those bands have come to it from Watain and Dissection. Okay. I did not come to it from other bands. I mean, maybe when I was younger, you know, the bands, you know, that inspired me, you know, in some terms to, like, explore the darker side of things. Mm -hmm. But once I did, instead of just aping bands, I was actually interested in the spiritual side of things. So I went out and did the... The, more than just the research, but got my hands dirty. You did. Say. You did the spiritual work. I, I did the work. Yes. Right. Which I feel there are a lot of bands that are just aping dissection and writing. Well, this, yeah. We're going to write lyrics that are similar to dissection or Watain or Marduk or other bands like that. Well, the imagery just, is very strong, so it's it's got to be tempting for someone who just yeah. wants to yeah. pop into it. Now, know? I've had you know some people say you know well you guys are very similar to Watain or this or that, and I'm like. My, I didn't even know Watain when I was starting the idea for, for Telecoma. Mm -hmm. All right, the seeds were there back when I was in, when I was in Dimension on, on the first album that we did as Dimension on Seven Suicides. Uh, there's material that I wrote and lyrics that were of an occult nature, and uh, we had actually, we had it and a little issue where uh, one of the members, uh, Jim, he didn't know the lyrics that I had written. All right, and I told everybody in the band, you know, that this is kind of the ideas for the song. I don't know whether he was busy or whatever, but when we went and recorded, he got a little upset because 
I was doing. He didn't want to do the occult stuff within the band. Yeah. So you know, I was always my idea, and that's Seven Suicides. Yeah. Which I forget what year that came out in, off the top of my head. But uh, that was, that was shit because we did I'm, I'm on uh, Metallum by the way Seven Suicides came out in uh, 2003 and just for the listeners quickly uh, Dimension On has a wealth of material you can go back and check out um, kind of like Long Island's premier legendary uh, dark kind of a mix of black metal and old school death metal in my a opinion bit of doom. yeah a, a lot yeah. going on but um but just just to uh to get, to get back on um you know, we were. You, I just wanted to touch on that experience because I know you traveled with Watain and you got a lot out of that experience. And it's funny because uh, when you start Telok Vovin, you're looking for members. Uh, you have Mark Weisbaum on drums. Um, yep. I believe you had Joe uh, uh, Fagarazzo. Also, they were both former Dimension on members too. Yeah, and Joe obviously of Rigor Sardonicus, Long Island's uh, uh, crazy doom metal band that people got to check out. Um, I'll interview Joe probably for a whole episode another time too, man. But get, but uh, you have Telog Vovin, and you did recruit me. You you invited me to join the band, and I spent um, just about a full year in Telog Vovin, uh, and I learned so much from that experience. I took uh, it's it's funny hearing you say that you learned from Watain and Black Anvil about being professional, and because I learned a lot about dedication and drive and inspiration and um and perspiration to a project from my experience in Telok Volvin. And yes, I did uh, learn a lot, I think, about the philosophy behind the band, and I realized it wasn't necessarily for me. I did feel some sort of occult power coming from this band. It's all obviously focused, very extremely focused, on your beliefs and your writings and, and, and this and that. And I felt like um, it wasn't for me. And, you know, as you remember, I left the band with handshakes with everyone, and we all have a mutual respect. Uh, one, of, one of the more wholesome stories you'll hear about people leaving bands but you did it the right way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just you know, all due respect, it wasn't it wasn't for me. But I did learn a lot from the band, uh, and I, I'm trying to think where to go with this because there's so much with well, Telavolvin. One but, thing I'll say is mm-hmm. that you hit upon. You're asking about going on the road with Black Anvil and Wantane there. Yeah, I learned more the professional aspect more than any like the occult or spiritual aspect because that was already there for me. Fair enough. One yeah. I took from it was literally sitting there and watching watching them have people around them that all you know were there to do a job they were there to do it right they you know it wasn't bullshit they were all business you know and then they go up and they do a kick-ass show and then you know and it was no joke yeah that's what i took out of that more than you know any sort of uh spiritual thing because that was that was already there for like a long time and you know it's funny because you I I kind of learned that in a way I guess you know I always figured that maybe there was some sort of interaction there but your philosophy seems very personal and I I'm just even looking at your bookshelf there's such a wide dynamic variety it's not like it's all all one specific uh, aspect of the occult or one specific philosophy it seems like you've kind of formed your own world worldview from a lot of different parts read and study everything yeah. I mean, I've read the yeah. bible I've read the talmud the mm-hmm. quran bit of the Quran mm-hmm. you know I mean read every, even stuff I found it's very important read stuff you don't necessarily even agree with because wow. it teaches you about yourself by reading something go yep. I don't agree with that or I don't agree or you can even take inspiration from some things that mm. you know you don't really agree with or you might find certain things in that that lead you to other areas yeah. 
I'm smiling because, again, I got to bring him up again. Paul Riedel, if you remember, gave almost that exact same advice. You have to read things sometimes by people you don't agree with. Mm-hmm. To, to, to why, yeah, wow. Um, got to get you guys together one day if I can, man. Uh, but that's because because I kind of you know I, like I said I figured there might have been some interplay there, but in reality, there's all these bands coming out in the last uh, maybe seven or eight years now, where you see these terms like demiurge, anti cosmic is a big big label that they're throwing on death metal nowadays, and it seems like maybe people have finally gotten over the shock of of just anti Christian Satanism. And traditional imagery in Satanism, so like they 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 kind of maybe want to play off of what dissection was talking about, but like you said, maybe they haven't done all the work and all the spiritual. Well, work a lot, and a lot of the bands that you know, I might even like some of the bands musically, but I find that there are a lot of bands where I don't really feel that the spirit is there. Yeah. In in them, where it's more of an image. They're not living it day to day. You know, they're not up at you know between 12 and 3 Monday nights, which is when I do a particular ritual working. Okay. Almost every Monday night. You know, to them it's more of uh, almost like a a jacket they put on when they go out to do the band. Which which is interesting because hearing you say that, I totally understand what you're saying. And there's an interesting parallel to draw there to, uh, I guess, Christian metal, but any kind of spiritual uh, metal. Because we did, as I told you, we did a whole episode with our friend John Osgood on on, uh, Christian metal, Christian extreme metal, and we talked about how some bands have more integrity than others, and and a lot of them, especially more so in Christian metal than occult metal, there's a big uh, commercial market for that. If if you're a metal band, and you uh, say we're a Christian metal band, you kind of have a built-in audience that's going to buy your stuff you know what i mean so there's there's kind of a parallel there where there's people that are genuine about their faith and people that are not but they're going to present it like that to sell records look i work with a a born-again christian who doesn't know his bible at all yeah don't don't get me started on that i call him a hippo christian Mm -hmm. he doesn't know anything about his bible and i'll talk to him about something i don't know that part i don't know that part he relies on the people in his church to tell him Mm-hmm. Again, that whole idea of people telling you what to think, what right. to believe, what this is, this is it. Yeah. To, to give you, yeah. you know, like to give you an apple mm. instead of growing out and growing the tree, mm-hmm. you know. Wow, yeah, it's a good way to put it, man. And quick shout to Francisco Polito of the one-man band uh, Hippo Christians from Texas, classic grindcore <laughs> band. I don't know if you ever know that band. There's a band Hippo Christians, grindcore band from Texas, really good band. Uh, but, um, wow, man, so much to get into. My mind's racing right now. But... With Telok Vovin pushing forward, um, the band obviously, you know, people can go on YouTube, people can look up the band at this point. There's a very um, interesting visual aspect to the band. Uh, I mean, I'm talking now about kind of like the first era. There was the other singer, Chris. At one point, Chris and I were both singing together. Um, eventually, I leave, as we covered. And then a little bit after that, Chris uh, parted ways with you guys. He did everything, where you did everything right, he did everything wrong. Yeah, I don't, see, I wasn't really around for when Chris left the band, and I also didn't have any social media. I don't know if you want to touch on that or uh, breeze over it, it's up to uh, you. Just, he, he didn't handle it right at all. Mm-hmm. He, uh, his relationship with his girl fell apart, and he's one of those people who, if he's not with somebody, I guess he just can't function. And he met a new girl, and I mean, uh, you interview Joe, he'll tell you the same thing. It was like all of a sudden, in the course of two months, he went from being one person to being somebody else. Mm. And just 
just completely changed. And uh, he actually has the Telgvoven sigil uh, that I have tattooed here. Yeah. He has tattooed on his back. And uh, I would like nothing more than the, the cut it off him. <laughs> Just cut the flesh right off him because he don't deserve to fucking wear it. Wow. If, if it's still there, if he didn't get it taken off. But, um, you know, I mean, where Will did everything right, and that's why I've been friends with Will way before Telegoven, and, you know, I'll always, I consider him like extended family. He did everything right. Chris was like, I even remember you saying it, it was like, like, it's like you and Chris have known each other forever. I mean, when we met each other, we became best friends, like, really quick, and we were together all the time. We were practicing ritual together. We formed the basis to really, the spiritual aspect of the band was channeled and focused through me and Chris. And uh, he betrayed all of that. You know, so I don't want to get too much into it because I don't want to waste yeah. my time on waste. No, I, I on, hear you. And, waste. and we've already, we've already, um, we've gone in depth. How much time are we on by now, baby? Okay, that's good. Yeah, we have time. We, we usually run about an hour and a half to just under two hours, so we're good. I'm, I'm fine if it goes longer. Okay. It's good conversation. So. All right, cool, man, cool. Yeah. Um, tell I woven. Okay, so, all right, so Chris leaves the band, and um, I remember at that point, there was a point where uh, Joe picked up vocals. Joe really stepped up because we had other shows. And you had Jen in the band yeah. for a period of time. She, as well. yeah, shout, she quick, was in the band for a long time. Yeah, shout, shout to Jen. Jen. Absolute shout to Jen. Life she's always... Yeah. Yeah, she's, she, even before she always was a solid in the person. band, she was a big part of the band, like behind the scenes with the band. I remember that you too. Know? Very, very... Just a, I just want to say, you know, again, quick shout to Jen. Always a very supportive, diehard person for the yeah. metal scene I, out I, here I think for us. the world... That's... Yeah. that's uh, Joe's girlfriend, and yeah. you know, I, I love the two of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they are their family to me. Yeah, no, know? great, great people, man. So, um, so there was so there was the period of time where Jen was in the band uh, performing with you guys. We had another show, uh, a festival that we were playing in uh, Maryland. Three weeks after, uh, we played the Anti Cosmic uh, Festival. Up, that was the last show that that uh, Chris played with us. And we, I mean, we almost came to blows at, at, at that show. I mean, I was, if it wasn't for Jen, I probably would have gotten arrested because I was going to fucking stab the guy. You know, first of all, because he was got nasty with Jen and disrespect uh, her and caused problems with us with the, with the place. Yeah. You know, the place actually, the promoter of the show come out to us and goes, I'm so sorry, but uh, the, uh, the, the club says uh, like that you guys are going to have to leave. And we're like, what? What's, you know? Chris and his girlfriend went to them, and, and basically, Chris threw blood all over the downstairs. We wear blood on on stage. Yeah, you uh, guys do wear blood. real. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, and another thing that didn't really fit uh, my personality as much, but all due respect. Go on. Uh, we do try to be respectful in terms of not, you know, not making a like being able to clean up what we yeah do. yeah. Chris and we were saying to him before she what are you doing and he's like I don't fuck this place fuck the promoter fuck the club I don't give a fuck all you know yeah. he just uh. that, somehow he thought that that was in the yeah. mindset of things and he made a fucking mess and then uh, we actually and, and just quickly Chris actually worked as a butcher that's where the blood was procured right uh, well we got it from a couple different allegedly yeah, <laughs> we got a couple different different spots but uh he kept losing jobs, so okay. <laughs> you know yeah. he, he didn't always have the ability to uh, 
but uh, whatever. But he caused a whole bunch of problems and then said that we were, like, he got nasty with Jen because we were cleaning up the place. And uh, while so you, trying so you to guys get our had equipment to, out. So you guys had to clean up blood that, that he had spilled yeah, around the place? Yeah. Oh, my God. And uh, the club thought that we all did it, all right? Yeah. And he went to the club and his girlfriend went to the club and said that we were threatening him, which wasn't true. It was, he wasn't doing anything after the show. He took one piece of equipment off the stage and then fucking just disappeared and we could go fuck ourselves. And Jen said to him, are you, are you going to help? You made the mess. Are you going to help? And he got nasty with her and, and started yelling at her. And uh, I went to go after him, you know. And Jen was like, Jen kind of yeah. like calmed me down. Chris was going to walk up the steps and walk away. And uh, Jen actually had, you know, come to just get it, you know, kind of, you know, kept me calm. I Ed Farsi was with us. He kept me yeah. uh, a good friend of mine, you know. He yeah, kept shout me, to Ed. Very young. You know, yeah, very well-known uh, promoter in New York City. Kept me, you know, kept me away. And it's, you know, let's go hang out. Let's have a few drinks and kept me away because I was like, I'm just going to fucking stab the guy. Yeah. You know? Uh, and, you know, that was, it was also the fact that uh, he was supposed to step in when he was in the band and do more promotion and that sort of stuff. And uh, we gave him the uh, Facebook page. Uh, information to get on the yeah. Facebook page, yeah. and we had kicked him out after the show because everything that was going on. But leading up to the show, he kept saying, "Oh, I, I don't know where I did with the password. I don't have it. I, you know, because he wasn't doing anything." Well, he did have it, and when we kicked him out because shit went down at the show, and we actually said, "That's it, you're fucking out." He went on the Facebook page and changed the password and locked us out of the fucking and hijacked the page. Uh, at the show so all that happened at that show and I mean I was literally Jeez. I was like I'm gonna fucking kill this guy <laughs> wow I was to, it was to the point where people that were friends of ours on Long Island mm. somehow knew what was going on and were calling me I mean I had my wife calling me go don't do yeah. something you you know friends call me look I know you don't fucking don't do something where you're gonna get arrested and then you're not gonna be able to go out and do shows I mean I was getting phone yeah. calls you know, you know, all the people getting phone calls that were with us to keep him away and keep him calm. Because I, I yeah, I, I actually remember around that time I didn't have Facebook, but a friend of mine contacted me and was like, "Are you still in Telagvoven? Because there's some beef going on on Facebook or whatever. You know, whatever happened, I don't know." But um, eventually you guys persevere. You move on without Chris. Joe stepped up big mm -hmm. time because we mm -hmm. had a, we had a show at a festival three weeks later, and the promoter was th was there. She come up up to. Uh, to that uh, show and I remember her going she went to Ed Farsity and she's like are they going to be able to like are they going to be able to play you know play like what's going on and Ed said they'll 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 do it they'll just mm -hmm. you know and uh, Joe was doing there was the idea with Telic Vogue is always to have two vocals yeah two main vocals because yeah. a lot of vocals trade off some lines start while the other one's ending. One vocalist can't really do it. it yeah, when when I joined the band, I was I was brought in as like the first vocalist, but you're always looking for the second guy, and you had all these parts written to have, for two vocalists. And just for the listeners, uh, you can go back and check out Telok Vovin on Bandcamp, and um, you can actually listen for the the rehearsal one CD is the one with me on. I yeah, rehearsal I. But um, uh, so. You guys move on uh, with Joe. And Joe and then, stepped up, and, and, and in yeah. three weeks, he learned all the rest of the vocals. Not surprising, knowing Joe. No, he was just like, he was so pissed at Chris. He's like, there's no <laughs> fucking way that we're missing the show. Fuck him. We're not falling apart. That's Joe, and, yeah. And, and he right. stepped up, and he learned all the rest of the vocals, and we went on and had one of the best 
best fucking shows that we ever played at, at uh, the, the fest in, in Maryland. Great. And I actually, um, the brief time that the Rams had, uh, I, what was that, in Ronkonkoma was having shows? Or yeah. Wherever yeah. that was. Um, I, I caught you guys playing there one time too, man. I was really impressed with the lineup that had uh, Joe on vocals. Um, but, so... Funny, uh, funny story. Mm-hmm. The, the blood that we used for that metal fest, like held on to. And uh, we played a show three three years later at Varsity's Rage of Armageddon Fest, and I wore the blood for that show. Must have smelled great. <laughs> it was, it actually, four hours after we got off stage, the whole St. Vitus just reeked of, 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 our, of our blood. The, uh, the bartenders were handing out rags with fucking like Jack Daniels dipped in it and tequila oh, dipped in it. God. People were breathing through it. God. And then <laughs> I used the same blood for a hierarchy show, a band that I was doing after Telic Vovin uh, went on hiatus for a while when that lineup fell apart. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I wore the blood for that one. And as soon as I was out back, as soon as I opened the cap, there was a punk band on the show before us. 30 seconds, wasn't even 30 seconds after I opened the cap. One of the guys from the punk band puked all over the fucking outside behind the, behind the place. And people actually left, went outside. Yeah. People were watching from the back of the fucking, back of the fucking club. Uh-huh. One of my friends was like, you actually had somebody rolling around on the ground, like throwing up out front. Wow. From the fucking, yeah. from, from keep, the fucking smell of the blood. Keep your distance. That's all I got to say, man. Yeah, I, um... Yeah, I never put the blood on myself uh, when I performed with the band. I believe maybe I want to say times? I want to say four times. Four, yeah, four, four, five whatever times. it was, I never put the blood on me. I had my own thing. I had uh, allegedly uh, ash saved up for several months that wasn't from cigarettes, and I dumped it all over myself and I did my own little thing, man. But um, uh, the the I mean, let's. Because, you know, just for the listeners, obviously, you just mentioned that lineup eventually. And this is an intense band, so it's, you know, to, to keep lineups together, obviously, it's it's a there's a kind of chaos to the band. There's an ebb and a flow of the band. That lineup doesn't work out over the over, and you guys have to take a break. You join the band, uh, Hierarchy. Hierarchy. Hierarchy, I mispronounced it, from Long Island. Um, and as you said, uh, you were telling me before... Uh, you know, you were in that band for, uh, what, a few months, I'd yeah, say? About seven months as an actual mm-hmm. member. And now you are regrouping Telok Woven with some of those musicians? Yes. Okay. So I don't know if there's anything planned, if you have anything that you do want to say, or if you just want to leave it at that, that Telok well, Woven we're, has regrouped. Well, we're, uh, we're working. We got uh, uh, Antonio uh, Padilla on drums. Uh, he likes to call himself Autonomous Death Beats. Because the guy is like a human metronome, and huh. he, he is the best drummer I've ever played with. I mean, he's just phenomenal. Awesome. He's completely awesome. focused. And uh, Paul Grunts uh, on bass, uh, Saturnus is uh, his name in the band. And uh, we're working on, you know, we've only we've done three practices, and we have two of the old Telecoven songs down. And we're uh, we're working on a new song that I wrote that's like 11 and a half minutes long called Panzer Fist. Mm-hmm. That uh, that we're working on that. We're gonna uh, we're gonna do the first release that we're gonna do is gonna be called a cassette. It's a cassette release. Uh, it'll probably be cassette and digital, and it's gonna be called uh, Towards the Inevitable. Okay. So uh, <clears throat> it's gonna have some older Telegraphic songs like re-recorded, just the way the re- like 
introduce the band to people, the new lineup. Yeah. <clears throat> get something out that we can sell at, at shows when, when we're back and kind of say, we're back, here's the new lineup. New season kind of Yeah, band, you yeah. know, uh, and uh, get something, you know, with, you know, some of this, the eye, a big complaint, which I, I get and I don't get, is uh, a lot of people, uh, they missed the point that I was, it's not an album. And people reviewed it and said, this, I've never heard a band that put out an album. It's got the worst sound. And it says right on it, this is not an album. It's a rehearsal promo. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, the, the drums and guitars, the thing is f- almost 40 minutes long, was in two takes. Which also, really, I mean, you, know, you guys are definitely not the first black metal band to embrace lo-fi production. Yeah. Uh, you know, I And mean, it, we weren't no. even embracing the lo-fi yeah. production. It was literally, yeah. we did this to like work the songs out. And then we had a, a show coming up that was going to be our first show. And we wanted to have something put out. And we yeah. took, you know, Joe played the bass over top of it after, you know, and, and mixed it in. And then we had Will and Chris come in and did the vocals over top of it. And it was nothing more than a rehearsal promo. But so many people said, oh, it's like the worst production ever for an album. <laughs> like, do you guys ever, do you, do you read? Do you, I mean, it's right there in front of you. Do you read? It says it's not an album. It's a rehearsal promo. The <laughs> <That's> only it. <laughs> I'm still. We were actually listening. To, I played it for Tom on the way out here, um, just to give him like a little uh, a, a little hint of the band uh, before the interview. And I, I'm still proud of it. And the only way I could be more proud is if it was on a cassette tape. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's all. Hey, you want to laugh? You probably don't know this. You're talking about there is a lot of cast and there's a lot of things. I do feel like the universe fights against you when you try to do some of this stuff. Oh, yeah. We yeah. were going to record into Mark's computer. He had a computer that we were going to use, and the computer shit the bed mm-hmm. right there. the day while we were setting it up. Mm-hmm. So we actually switched and went from the outs of the board into a cassette deck <laughs> and recorded it on cassette. Yes. And Love it. we were playing, we were trying to play all the way through like as if it was a, a set right. and you know we got through uh we got halfway through uh the, i believe it uh, halfway through treatise on the left emanation the one song and i forget whether me or mark one of us made a mistake so we actually had to, to stop and went and started from a little bit before from that point and played that the rest of that song and adoration vexation and what I ended up doing was I ended up having it on to, on a cassette and I went and I, I had it all played over to it was up to the point where the mistake was and then I played the other part and I was using a cassette deck, actually that cassette deck right there where you can record from tape to tape mm-hmm. and I went and played and then I hit record mm-hmm. right at the point where the mistake was where we picked up from and you can't even tell it's spliced together. Yeah. And literally, that's how, you know... That's how you do That's how they used to do it all the time. Fly by to see the... I mean, yeah, talk about man. a punch. Yeah. That's literally yeah. a punch in, you know, so... Yeah. I, I'm just a big fan of the process and the aesthetic of things like that. I think that's awesome, man. And it, has, it gives a little bit of personality and, and charm to it, man. I, you know, I love it. Um, you know one thing I want to talk about with this? Because yeah. you, you brought up I. Yeah. Uh, while we were writing the material... Uh, and this was before we, we had a full lineup. Joe was starting to learn the songs and stuff like that. And you weren't even in, in the picture yet. Uh, Treatise on the Left Emanation is a very important song for the, for the band. It really is. It's got all the musical elements of the band. You know, the ambient side, the black metal, some death metal, some doom. Kind of everything that is in the whole band is kind of merged in that song. And the spiritual, that's one of the most spiritual songs of the band. Uh, 
while we were working on that song, I actually uh, was going through a, a rough time where I lost my job and uh, I got laid off. wasn't you know my own you know no fault of my own, and uh, really just did not quite know what was going on with my life at that point. And uh, I remember earlier in that day, um, you know, we, me and Mark were getting together during the day to work on the song, and uh, I was really, I was like really depressed. And I, I remember, you know, just saying, you know, saying, you know, it, I've always felt that there was something, a connection, there was something there that was behind me. You know, I don't write this music, it's written through me. You know, I, I'm just a channel, a conduit for it. And I was saying, you know, it's like, look, if you show me something that, you know, like I need something at this moment because I'm in that, like, I don't know what to do, whether I, I feel it. Part of me felt like just giving everything up because it was really, you know, it was just a shit situation. So me and Mark got together that day and we're, we're playing Treatise on the Left Emanation and we're in like the dirgy part in the middle of the song where you used to play the bells yeah and yeah. and we're in that in that part of the song and the first thing i noticed was the light in the room seemed a little weird right and then things kind of there was a weird like little sound and mark like he's kind of falling off time and he stops and while we're playing one of his symbols that he's hitting and playing in the part inverted itself while we were while we were playing you know how it's got the bell mm -hmm. in the center yeah it was now upside down it was literally inverted so instead of it being one way with the bell up the bell was now concave instead of convex and the other part of the symbol was up in the air and it literally inverted it inverted itself so the symbol it, it like kind of popped popped the opposite, opposite direction, direction that it was molded in Mo yes. yes okay okay i got and you mark was just like I he couldn't believe he's like I, I've never seen it I wouldn't I've never even heard of it yeah, yeah, he says yeah. I've never heard of this happening it's before it's umbrella he goes I've but, never heard of this yeah. happening he goes if you told me this happened I wouldn't believe you if I didn't see it he actually had to unscrew it and stick his foot on it and you know yeah. push the thing out yeah. he's like I, I would never have believed <laughs> and my okay. de my depression everything the feeling what I was feeling just popped it like went away <laughs> and I was just like so focused again it, it sounds like there's a pattern just from what you've said in this interview in your life of um extreme lows being the catalyst for uh maybe new highs without saying cliche or maybe being the catalyst for like setting keep you going. off on a new creative direction a whole new to, season to, to you keep know? going yeah. and the funny yeah. thing was was i think two days later or maybe it was the next week we got together and we're going through the same song, all right. And I, we finished the song and I st I'm like, I could smell something. And I'm like, I was like, hang on, something's not right. I, I could smell something. It smelled funny. And I walk upstairs and there's smoke in my house. And I walk and you know, looking back, there's smoke all through that the neighborhood. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? So I turn on the TV. The the forest, the pine forest over there, had a major forest fire, and it burnt like I don't know 30 acres of, of woods or something caught on fire and they they battled it for like 18 hours or 28 hours or some shit like that to put it out it was a huge giant forest fire and it was just like there's just something about that song that uh <laughs> you'll always remember that and associate it with the yeah song. I always you know yeah. certain things happen at times when that song is <laughs> 
you never know, man. A lot of, a lot of strange energy floating around. Um, and and with Telog Vovin, I mean, you know, we just we just kind of brought it up to the current where there's a, a new season approaching of Telog Vovin. You have some new new blood in the band. Uh, probably still got some old blood hanging around in a jar somewhere, knowing you, man. Yes. Um, but I before we before we close out and we have you recommend something for the listeners, I wanted to go back to that year that I was in Telog Vovin. Because, like I said, it was almost like a boot camp for me of being in a band that was really driven. And it, it helped me a lot because I was in that band Telag Woven the year that we recorded Labyrinth Constellation for Artificial Brain. And my work that I did in Telag Woven and my experience in Telag Woven set me up to kind of work hard and be diligent in Artificial Brain. Uh, and I learned a lot. And I, and some of the memories that I remember, if you just want to maybe like, like go over this, was it wasn't just show up to a rehearsal room and play. We would practice the whole set, me with my hood of my sweatshirt up because I was going to be wearing this elaborate kind of Grim Reaper cloak. We would turn out the lights, we'd burn the incense. I mean, it was a ritual in itself. Our, the live set for Telag Woven is in fact a ritual, right? You describe it that way? Yes. And it's designed that way, and I did participate in it at rehearsal and at shows. And I will agree that there's a, a certain that there is a power to it, um, and and it's it's more than your av- more. I've been in plenty of bands. I've been in plenty of rehearsal rooms and experienced that with lots of different people. But there is an energy that you get from from this experience, and also something I remember is working hard building huge metal posts that we use to hang these large, heavy uh, tubular um, bells. Tu- yeah, tubular bells. That were played, uh, you know, it, notes were played to the music and memorized and stuff. Um, props. The remember that, that I don't know if you still have that huge old case that I bought. That we, would we, store we actually some of the went, stuff we went in. to some some different we went to some different stuff because that was a little little hard to carry around. Bulky, but, man. You know, yeah, it, yeah. It, it looked great, and it, you know, it was a little impromptu altar up on the stage. As but you go as you go across yeah. doing it, you learn better ways to do it. You know, so things, we still things, have a whole lot of things serve their purpose, and then are uh, you know something uh, you know then are refreshed, you know, renovated. But um, just just uh, all the extra work that go that probably still does go into Telok Vovin, and I you know I wasn't even privy to a lot of the spiritual work as you say. Um, you know I was part of the the performance ritual, but there were other rituals and things that went on um, to fuel the band. I don't know how much you want to reveal, but there is kind of a grand master plan with Telok Vovin. There's there, there's you know there's there's preparation for an, uh, a certain order of releases. There's songs that you you know you have the a different mix of this song is going to be one day right I don't know if you want to talk about that maybe yeah this exactly. plan that you have yeah that's uh it's an integral part of Telco and there's a mm-hmm. certain idea behind it um there's three full length releases mm-hmm. for Telco there's two black metal albums all right uh and it's like the intro to the first album is actually the outro to the second album mm-hmm. but it has a guitar part a melody on the and the last track, where it's a there's a uh, incantation on the first part, too. It's, so there's a vocal track to the first one. The uh, outro to the first album is actually the intro to the second album. So you can listen to the two albums together, literally together, and it's like one double album. One piece of music. One, one piece of yeah. music. Yeah. Uh, and then we're doing a release. Uh, they're being released digitally. We've done ten of them. Uh, Prof is the, the former drummer. Is still working with me on the uh, ambient side of the band. We have uh, the black metal side, and then we have the, the black ritual ambient side of the band, where we do these Psalms of Chaos tracks, which are uh, 
And those are all on their, your band camp? They're all right on our here. band camp. They're, they're uh, more electronic. You mm-hmm. know, they're more ambient ritual, some, you know, stuff like that, yeah. more than, than, you know, instruments being played. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's going to come out someday. That'll actually going to probably be a double CD because the last track, I think, the 11th one walks in, is probably about a half an hour long. Uh, but each each three release, and numbers and numerology have a large part in the band. All right, so each release has 11 tracks on it. 11 is the key number to the band. All right, uh, within the Kabbalah, there's 10 Sephiroth, which are... Uh, emanations of creation let's put it to, to not get into a whole another rabbit hole to, <laughs> to try to explain something that could take lifetimes to learn yes all right uh the clothotic side or the anti let's say you know that the side that seeks to undo creation has okay. e- 11 where it actually has 10 but one is dual so uh it actually uh has 11 mm-hmm. so uh each album has 11 tracks on it which then equals up to 33. There are between the 11 clithoffs or sephiroths, uh, there are, uh, around the sephirotic side, there are uh, like conduits, and on the uh, clithotic side, there are tunnels. All right, so there's 22 of them. So if you add up the 11 and 22, it comes to 33. Okay. So that's the whole the numerology that surrounds the uh, you know the material is that there's 33 tracks in total that uh, create the full concept of the spiritual aspect of Telekvoven. Okay. All right. The second Telekvoven album is called Lux Pharaoh. All right. Uh, when we finish that uh, second black metal album. The band is going to go into a different incarnation that's going to be called Lux Pharaoh instead of Telephone. That's going to uh, still will be, you know, occult driven, but where there'll be some different. Uh, Telephone is very focused on certain, like musically and certain, you know, spiritual aspects, where Lux Pharaoh will open up a little bit and we can include other musical aspects that probably wouldn't work. You know, like the, different genres, maybe integrating, yeah, like or, or yeah. feels and some stuff. Like yeah. it, it'll expand, and instead of being so focused in one way, we can bring in some other, you know, other, yeah. you know, and, and other branches to the tree. And we'll still perform the Telekvoven material live, but the band is then going to segue, and, and it will be known as Lux Pharaoh. And wow. uh, All right. so, we're going to go on from there. So stay tuned, and there's a wealth of material to check out uh, from the past uh, of Telekvoven. Um, and I, I mean, Greg, we we went out there. We went out on a lot of limbs. We went down a lot of uh, wormholes tonight. Yeah. Didn't fr- didn't fully explore any of them. Uh, before we get into music to recommend, um, right behind you is your 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 bookshelf with all these books. Um, and not to put you on the spot, but maybe if the listeners are interested in what you've been talking about, they want to try to understand where you're coming from or just what you're talking about more. Maybe what are like. I don't know, a, a good three solid books from this bookshelf that you might recommend, or in general that you might recommend? Uh, well, one, like I said, uh, definitely a book that was inspirational you know, for me was uh, the, On the Mystical Shape of the Godhead by Gershom Shlom. Uh, by, by who? Gershom Shlom. Gershom Shlom, okay. Uh, I'll give you a couple different ones, more than maybe three. Uh, 
Magic and Theory and Practice by Aleister Crowley okay. was, was a very important book because there's a lot in it to explaining the, uh, the idea of the different aspects of magic and how to create ritual and how to understand what the, all the little parts of it are. You know, to understand the theories and how you then implement them. Alright, uh, there's a set of three books that are called Libra Felixifer that have been uh, very influential in uh, one aspect for me. And then, uh, These, it, and, and I'm sorry, what are they called again? Libra Felixifer. And is there one author that you can credit these uh, with? Yes, well, these are all done by NAA218. Okay. All right. And uh, the Book of Citra Acra, which uh, I was already exploring this concept, and a lot of different people have different takes on it. But when I found this author, and uh, it's a basis of the work that they'll release from a temple that uh, he's like the head of, and when I got this book and I read this book, there was something that clicked with me where I'm like, this is actually where my focus has been all along. And this is the most, uh, it aligns with me the most of what, of what I have gotten out of things. And it was almost like I was finding somebody who was writing a book for, for, for me, wow. in, in a way. Uh, but it's very in-depth. But another book, though, that uh, I don't, Aligned totally with the author's uh, goal in in mind in the working that that he's doing, but he's very learned and he's very intelligent and it's very well written and it's a little bit easier. It explains things on a uh, more understandable level to get into for somebody who doesn't uh, who doesn't know but who's interested before di diving into something like you know, the Book of Sitcha Acra is uh, Thomas Carlson. He's the head of the Dragon Rouge. Uh, and it's called Kabbalah, Klothoff, and Goetic Magic. And it's basically like, uh, it's a good introductory point. Okay. For somebody who is interested in, uh, his idea is more about kind of becoming a god, I guess you, you, could, you could say. Where uh, my point is more of untying myself from creation and the idea of uh, returning all to nothing. You know, and, and I don't mean nothing as in emptiness and, and more like no thing, no thingness, no limits, yeah. you know, the, pure freedom, pure spirit that's not bound by flesh, by form, mm. and the futility of life. And, and, you know, basically, I look at creation as a prison. And uh, for us to really be what we are in essence, we must overcome that. And that's... Uh, that's more where I'm at than where uh, Thomas Carlson's at. Okay. But those are uh, those are some uh, books that you could, you know. Yeah, he heavy, some heavy reading there. Um, but there, like I said, I just felt like we had to maybe for any listeners that that were curious after hearing the, the things that you talked about, you know, that would be a good good place. Um, and that being said, you well, know, you know, also people should like don't just read stuff like that. I mean. You know, explore some of the people who have written it in the past. You know, look into like Nathan of Gaza, who was uh, a Kabbalistic writer from, you know, in, in the quite in the past. You know, and st explore stuff like the Talmud and stuff like that mm -hmm. because there, there's a lot in there that uh, that's more than what is on the surface. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm something I'm actually doing uh, right now is I'm going back and I'm actually reading the. Uh, it's the King James version of the Bible I'm reading, um, and I'm just kind of going along and trying to look up things I don't understand. And I did buy myself a Koran uh, to to read too. The problem with the King James version mm-hmm. is a lot of it has been altered. Yeah. To fit what King James wanted it to be. And that we could do a whole another podcast. Up, yep. Yeah, yeah. But um. Yeah, I just brought that up just to touch on the idea of reading, reading yeah. in general, and reading um, just, older older things. Just and the translation to, from the Hebrew into yeah. Greek, the, all the mistranslations. Yeah, you know. Yeah, no, I, I yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. That's there's a there's a whole lot there to unwrap, but just yeah, just touching on your idea of going back and reading, and sometimes reading uh, these these ancient texts and reading things that you might necess- not not might not necessarily agree with or subscribe to, just to open your mind. And widen uh, your 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 wealth of knowledge about things. Um, that that being said, with all that, Greg, we talked about Telag Vovin. We talked in depth about uh, the philosophy and the spirituality uh, that that you infuse into the band. Um, and we talked a, a, a little bit about your your upbringing, your history. At this point, uh, could we ask you to recommend an older release and a newer release of music to our listeners? Hmm. Well, it's a whole lot of deal. Holy diver. Okay. Deal. Right. Did, that, did anyone ever recommend that? Um, I think I, someone brought in. Yeah, I, I actually think someone did bring that in at one point. Dio. It's a great album. Yeah. Dio. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, my favorite piece of music of all time is Mozart's 40th Symphony. The, the first move, the very first movement of that is the greatest piece of music ever written. Okay. Hands down, the greatest piece of music ever written. Wow. Uh, and I would tell a lot of people they should. There's a band called Fields of the Nephilim. You check out their Elysium album. It's kind of like a dark goth rock, uh, you know, acid rock band. That's that's just from Finland. Phenomenal. No, they're from the UK. Okay, okay. They're, they're amazing. But uh, modern release, oh, that's see that's where it gets hard because I have so much stuff that I've been listening to. Yeah. That, yeah. Uh, but uh, it's not really new, but it's new, newer than like Holy Diver. Is uh, I just I have a love for uh, Tiamat, deeper kind of slumber. Okay. That that yeah. album is just I've spent so many times where I've tripped out on acid and <laughs> eaten much. Allegedly, or, allegedly. You know, <laughs> you know, back in the day when I did stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we always uh, say allegedly on the podcast. Yeah, and uh, you know, just gotten lost in that album. Okay. Know, just okay. Taken to another world. Wow, um, and maybe I could just get a little bonus recommendation because I actually, I had, I, I had always been into different eras of Black Sabbath, but I, I grew up and was always more of an Ozzy Black Sabbath era guy. But when I was in Telagvoven, you and Joe kind of infused me with an appreciation for Dio era Sabbath that I never had. Could you maybe recommend a, a Dio era Sabbath album to get into? Like, what, what's the one that people should go to? Uh, I love Dehumanizer. Dehumanizer. I love Dehumanizer, yeah. but yeah. I'm going to throw something out there to you. I love Dio. I mean, Dio all around is my favorite. Everything he touches is, is gold. When yeah. he's in Rainbow, Rainbow Rising is another thing to check out. That, that Dio okay. was, that's proto-metal album. Maybe something that people haven't gone all the way back to. But Black yeah. Sabbath, check out the Tony Martin era. Tony Martin Tony era, Martin Black era. Sabbath, yeah. And check out the Eternal Idol. Some really heavy stuff in that era. The yeah. Eternal, Eternal Idol yeah. and Headless Cross. Eternal Idol and yeah, I I recommend those too. You're probably way more familiar with those than I am, but I went through a period where I was trying to check out the the other uh, the other Black Sabbath singers that don't get as much recognition as I. Uh, you know, one other album I'll throw out there that I think is uh, just such a phenomenal album. Uh, 
the sections last out rain chaos okay i mean that's right. some people are like oh it's not as black metal it's completely black metal but it's like a satanic heavy metal album and that album is magical i that's one i'm a huge dissection fan um of material pre preceding that album not that i don't like that album i haven't really gave it a fair shot and i will uh, you have to that album is amazing i even got my wife sent to it she, she's <laughs> like she loves that album too that album's yeah amazing yeah. Okay, man. I, I will definitely check that out. We actually, I, I, I well, I've kind of talked in the in the because uh, sometimes we do these a uh, bonus episode where we'll like talk about a band's discography that doesn't have too many albums. And I suggested uh, dissection, you know. So hopefully we can get that out for the fans one day and get more in depth into dissection. Great band. Um, so Greg, man, uh, again, we really appreciate you being so hospitable, welcoming us uh, us out here to um, Temple Pentagrammaton at an undisclosed lo disclosed location on Long Island, uh, telling us about your life, your philosophy, your band, your experiences, and all that, man. And I feel like um, we just kind of uh, cracked the, the the tip of the iceberg with you, man. Maybe we could get you back for a part two or part three, something of that nature, man, and, and talk more in depth about all of this stuff. But for tonight, man, I think we're going to uh, leave the listeners here. Thanks a lot, Greg. Thank you, guys. It's a pleasure. Thank mm -hmm. you, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Anything else to say to uh, to the metalheads of the world, supporters, people hearing you for the first time? Keep it dark. Keep it heavy. <laughs> there you go, man. Greg Lehman, everybody, and uh, Telok Vovin. did you think about that library oh, <laughs> um it my library pales and it made me want to go to the the occult bookstore uh from some weird 80s movie somewhere that I, I i don't know where to find that though maybe someplace in new england man but um yeah that was that was quite a ride uh, out there to the uh, undisclosed location yes. on long island where we were at a uh, temple pentagrammaton um we had a great discussion with greg uh very kind of like mind opening in, in some ways very expansive knowledge of metal uh, in addition to an expansive knowledge of uh, kind of philosophical and spiritual things mm -hmm. uh, and we thank Greg for his time and we hope to maybe have him back on again in the future I, as I said I don't want to harp on it too much I would love to get him in the same room uh, as Paul Riedel from Blood Incantation but we'll yeah. see what happens in the future man. Absolutely. May, may, I think the only one who really knows what's going to happen in the future is one of those guys during a meditation session or something the two of them could probably figure it out Yeah, they, they are right now yeah. <laughs> we just don't know so Anyway, in case you didn't realize, uh, in case you were in a different part of the whole week, we did put out that special uh, Heavy Hole bonus episode for Halloween where we talked about horror movies and our favorite horror movies, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Happy Halloween, everybody. Uh, be safe. Uh, do the right thing out there. Don't get spooked. Absolutely. Hit us up. <laughs> heavyholepodcast at gmail.com. Hit us up there. Hit yeah. us up on the Instagram uh, at heavyholepodcast. Show me pictures of your candies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really, hey. really interested. Show us pictures. If you went to a, a Halloween uh, party, if you if you just dressed up a little bit for work or you're handing out the, the candies and you're the weird guy in the neighborhood, just take a picture. Show us what you did, man. If you're drunk alone on Halloween, you could also leave us a voicemail. 
Yeah, hit us up at 631-837-3274. Yeah, that was really loud and clear to me, Tom. So I'm just going to say, like, once you take uh, some Reese's Pieces and warm it in your hands and <laughs> do some corpse paint with it and then get on the phone and call that number, which is, what is that number? One more time. 631-837-3274. Tell us about your Reese's Pieces. Yeah, get it. Ooh. Whoa. <laughs> let us know how your Halloween was. Let us know how your Day of the Dead was. Let us know if you don't like any of that stuff. Let us know the deal, man. Call us up. Uh, hit us up on the social media and all that stuff, all right? Heavy Hole Podcast. Peace. Yeah, listen to the Heavy Hole Podcast. All right, one.